Hey, Generation Church, we welcome you and invite you to encounter Jesus with us. We believe that through him, we will encounter love and discover our purpose. So take a seat, lean in, and let this message fortify your faith. Well, good morning. Uh, you know, it's interesting coming up here. You know, I've been here so many times, and you know that my when I go out, I don't take a prepared message on purpose because I feel like, you know, apostolically, when I go somewhere, I won't speak until I hear the land, until I hear what the Lord is saying on the land, what his intention is for the land. And, um, and so that's a privilege and a responsibility, but it's also stressful <laughs> because, you know, I mean, I've been preaching the gospel for 30 years. You know, I could, you could stand me up and say, preach from this passage, and I, I don't need a note. I'll, I'll throw something out there. We'll put some words together. It'll be anointed. It'll be fine. But when you come and you're just going to, you know, listen to the Holy Spirit, um, you have to be ready to shift into flexibility mode, like Gumby mode. And, you know, it's a wedding weekend here at the church. You know, Jeremy, who is marvelous, his gift is marvelous because he's marvelous. And, you know, I've known him since he was seven years old. And um, I actually met him uh, the first time I was here. I was here for intercessory prayer before the service. Well, actually, I was here before anybody. Uh, before any, I was sitting out in the car because at our church, you know, we were highly disciplined people who were there, you know, in so early it was ridiculous and um so i was the first one here so i ended up being here for intercessory prayer and i remember standing here and just praying and watching and just kind of taking in the atmosphere and this little boy came up front and he stood right up here like this all by himself and it was jeremy and he reached in his pocket he pulled out a couple dollar bills and he threw them on the ground and he said, you will never be Lord over me. He said, I will not serve you, money. He said, I am a servant of the Most High God. And I remember looking down thinking, good Lord. <laughs> what is going on up here in the mountains? They got, they got little kids, you know. Casting things down and, you know, bringing down the spirit of mammon. I'm like, good gracious. And, uh, and it's just been my privilege to know the fine family all these years since then. And Jeremy, and I'm so thrilled for his happiness. What a wonderful woman Grace is. And so, so much happiness. And I wanted to bring a, a happy message, a feel good you know, I know Pastor Sam appreciates it if you bring that message, you know. And, uh, but the funny thing was I had a dream Thursday night because we came up Friday. And um, in the dream, I, I'm, I'm putting on all this gear to go climb a mountain. And this man is giving me instructions. And he's like, okay, you're going up. It's going to be cold. Put on the special boots. There's snow. There's ice. You've got to be ready. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know, I'm not sure. I'm the right one <laughs> for this mission. I mean, this sounds a little intense for me, like extra. And I'm, I'm not feeling that extra. And I'm thinking to myself, why, why am I getting all this, you know? And, um, and I'm thinking, am I going up in the dark? And he's like, 
just follow the path, follow the path, stay on the path and communicate, stay on the path and communicate. But it's like it's all out of my control. I don't have, you know, anything I can do or say, but I'm just like, okay, okay, <laughs> you know. And uh, so when I woke up Friday morning and we're getting ready to come up here, I thought, well, you know, you do climb the mountain to go up there. And I thought, but Lord, you know, why would you send me to war on wedding weekend? Until last night when Pastor Sam said, because, you know, i got to pay attention to everything. My wits have to be sharp when you're trying to hear the Lord and the land and everything all together and people are talking to you. And last night when Pastor Sam said, the bride has made herself ready. And it, you know how when it hits on the spirit realm and you, you feel the weight of it, the kabod, the glory is on the words. And I thought, oh, we did come to go to war. But to what extent, I wasn't sure until this morning. And so now we're just going to dive in. All right, so I want to start with, um, I feel it's almost like a, a follow-up to, um, to what I said the last time I was here, although I hardly ever remember. But I do remember saying that, you know, we want the harvest, the church thought when Kansas City won the football game and wasn't it Kansas City that Bob Jones yeah you know and we're all like yay the harvest you know except if you've ever seen a little girl dress up in a wedding dress you know like I'm gonna marry you I'm gonna get married one day you know that's really what the Lord showed me is like we're we want to be all grown up and ready but we weren't and, 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 and that's okay. We're not behind, but we weren't ready. So we're excited about the harvest, you know, just like a child who's excited about getting married one day. And, you know, most little girls like, Daddy, I'm going to marry you when I grow up, you know. I mean, they're precious, but they're, they have no concept. I mean, then when we grow up and we get married, we have no concept, <laughs> you know. I mean, you know, marriage is, is, a, is an undertaking of glory and uh, fire, <laughs> You know, one time I called out a, a man in our church who'd been married like 62 years, you know, and I was saying something about the bride of Christ and, you know, marriage, you know, and I said, Brother Joe, you've been married 62 years. You know about this, right? And he stood up because he was an old time Pentecostal. He goes, well, it's been a struggle, but he wasn't <laughs> laughing. He wasn't joking, you know, and I was like, oh. Thank you, Brother Joe. I mean, but he didn't say anything else. But I'm so glad. Or, but she's my treasure. He just said, well, it's been a struggle. You know, and I was like, well, okay, yay. Everybody engaged. It's like, you know, let's rethink this. Let's have a little pause. Um, but anyway, um, so I kind of want to piggyback on this idea of what, where we are right now. When I was ordained, I asked the Lord for the Issachar anointing. Uh, the Bible tells us that the tribe of Issachar knew the times and seasons of the Lord and knew what Israel was supposed to do. And when I, and, and, and you know, the, the, um, the group that had ordained me, they told me to come to my ordination with request, to come before the Lord and ask, for what I, what I wanted to be hallmarks of my ministry. And so I asked for the Issachar anointing, that I would know the times and seasons of the Lord, and that I would know what Israel's supposed to do, that I would be able to say to the church, like, you know, the map in the mall, you are here. This is where we are on the timeline. This is where we are on this journey, and this is what we're doing right now. Because I feel like that's helpful. You know, I, my life is... 
more often the pieces of the puzzle before I get the picture in the puzzle box. You know, like I know these pieces belong, but until you get the picture on the puzzle box, I really don't know. All I can do at that point is sort them by color. Or look, if you puzzle, any of you puzzle for, you know, serenity. I don't know what happens when I puzzle. I feel crazy. (laughs) I think it's because I don't have a natural engineering mindset. I feel crazy when I puzzle. Um, Because I'm, you know, it's definitely my weakest area. But it's like that in the kingdom for me a lot of times. I get these pieces. I know go in the puzzle. But I don't have a clue where they go till I get the picture in the puzzle box. So we're going to start today. If you want to go ahead... Uh, Matt? Yes. <laughs> okay. I just wanted to make sure I've called him like six names today. Uh, bless him. First one. I need you to go to the first, the first one. Do you see the first? It's not the first screen. The first screen is a Paul Keith Davis prophecy. No. <laughs> well, anyway, let me read it to you. Uh, I've got it on my computer. So I'm not sure why it's not there. Paul Keith Davis, you see if you can find it. Paul Keith Davis, he, um, he released a prophetic word. I don't know if you know him, White Dove Ministries. I mean, this man is so brilliant uh, and so anointed. And just consistently, over 30 years of ministry that I've been acquainted with him, just consistently speaks truth in such a way that um, is just mind-blowing. And he calls this the bride's end-time harvest anointing. Do we have it yet? We don't have it. Okay. Well, it's there. It's the very first. It's slide number one in the keynote, but you guys, I think you guys made it into a Word document. All right, and he says this. He says, we are now entering a season of harvest and a time that will be known as the bride's revival. Church history has witnessed many expressions of outpouring and revival, but nothing like the days of head when the bride of Christ emerges in maturity and surrendered devotion to the bridegroom. Overall, we are presently in the last days of harvest, but it will come in multiple waves. The first harvest will be a harvest of harvesters, followed by a season of intense training and equipping. Following that, the greatest harvest of souls throughout the earth will transpire in the bride's revival. Those individuals who have yielded to the preparation process will experience the transformation of their perceived wilderness into a flourishing garden with pools of spiritual water. For them, a season of breakthrough will be accomplished that makes them a spiritual habitation for the sevenfold spirit of God. In essence, there will be a deposit of the spirit to overcome. It goes on. I invite you. Identitynetwork.com is Paul Keith Davis's website. Um, and uh, so I encourage you to read this. But this particular prophetic word, the harvesting of the harvesters, that's us. See, we want to be the harvesters, but he's got to harvest us first. 
And this is where we are right now in the journey because we just entered 5783, the Jewish year is the beginning of a seven-year cycle. We closed out a fullness of time, and now we've started a new fullness of time. Every seven years, things complete, close, they're done, and then we move in to a new season. He opens up doors, gates that have never been opened before. We were worshiping in our home meeting not too long ago, and I saw, um, I saw winds gathering in the heavens. And you know those meetings, the worship team probably know this. You know when you, when you go up and you're there and you feel like if anybody pulls you out, you will sob. You, will, you can't possibly leave this place that you are because the presence of the Lord is so strong that you begin to tremble. And I remember sitting at the piano in our home meeting and the tremble started and I was like, oh my gosh, you know, Joanne, you got to get control of yourself. You know, someone else is speaking tonight. You are here to serve the, you know, the word that's going to come forward. And the tremble, I could not stop the tremble because we were all, just translated into an atmosphere of glory that was so powerful and I could see winds gathering and they and they and they were gathering in you know like little uh like a zephyr and then over here and over here and I heard the spirit of the Lord say that he was opening the heavens in this new season and he was going to release winds on the church that had never been released before things we had never experienced things we'd you know so much time revival you're always trying to get what was on Azusa Street what was on the Hebrides what was on you know any of the great revivalists and the Lord is like could you look forward please I mean yay yay for the fathers who came before us I love them you know I mean you know that's the spirit of Elijah turning the hearts of the sons to the fathers where we're not cursing them and rejecting them you know naturally or spiritually but he wants to release things for this season things you were put on this earth for this time not to go back but to go forward when that has never been released from heaven before and I just sat there trembling. And then I was worried that it was just me. And, um, and when I looked up, everybody was laying on their face or fell over. And Pastor Lee, who was going to preach, he stood up. Jamie can tell you the truth. He stood up. And I think he thought he was going to say something, and he, and he walked, and he collapsed on his face and couldn't get back up. I mean, Heidi Baker would have been proud of what was going on in this room, okay? <laughs> Everybody's laying out, but you know, and nobody knew that that was going to, we weren't even trying to be that. We weren't trying to be religious or spiritual or anything. We were just trying to do our thing. And, uh, and, and I just was so powerful, and I realized what the Lord was saying Stop trying to go backwards. Go forwards. Press on. I've got things for the church. This is the church's finest hour. And I felt so encouraged and inspired because, you know, if you tie your, your hope to earthly governments, good gracious, you know, I mean, 
I mean, who would have even thought we'd be living to see what we are seeing in this day and age? I mean, you want to talk about nonsense. The news has got nonsense. The government has got nonsense. We have no hope in these people. You know, Pastor Sam was saying this morning, you know, the air is going to shift. We're going to war today. We're going to finish this with warfare for sure. But the thing is, is that 12, 12 people, highly flawed, changed the earth because they were faithful to the message. And as a, as a, a person who came out of profound dysfunction and the practice of sin, I want to tell you how grateful I am that the Lord selects people like us, along of, with all of you who the worst thing you ever did was listen to an Archie song on a Sunday or play cards, you know, whatever. I mean, you know, when we were sent out to start a church, that's how our team was. We had these two uh, Pentecostal holiness people, grew up Pentecostal holiness, and like that's the worst thing they ever did. You know, they played cards once on Sunday, you know. And Jamie and I, I mean, we were reprobates when we got saved, okay? I mean, we were the poster children for sin and dysfunction. And what I didn't know about sin, Mr. New York City surely came to teach me just about lickety-split, quick as he could. And we were both, you know, highway to hell. ACDC would have been proud. And, uh, and so when the Lord, like, interrupted all that and dramatically saved us you know it's not the people you hope come through the door we don't look like prospects for children's church or to have enough money to really affect the tithing overall in the church you know we we look sort of sus you know to be honest and uh and we were you know for sure but the thing is that um that was so interesting about this is that um in this process of what the Lord is doing, there's a couple things I want to leave with you today before we go to war um, that I feel like is going to be important for you as you are navigating through this very new season that we're in. Because if you don't understand what's happening, you're going to get frustrated or maybe have resentment. I mean, I had, we have a lady in our group that was so sure she wasn't going to get covid she just knew it. She was standing in the word and on the wall, the prayer wall, and made her declarations. And then she got COVID. And she was just set wrong because she thought, how can I have COVID? How can any plague touch me? I said, well, a plague that the Lord sends can't touch you. So what does that tell you? Let's finish that thought, right? Okay, and, 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 and she was just set wrong for like four months before she could get over the way she thought. So let's go ahead and jump in the word here. Uh, oh, there's that. Okay, now we're at this. <laughs> um, but in the days, this is interesting that he talks about the bridegroom right before this. You've heard this scripture a hundred times. But if I say it, I had people come and say they were going to leave the church because I didn't preach from the Bible. Because I would say, in Matthew 2.20, where it says that the bridegroom, and I wouldn't put it up on the screen, then they didn't feel like I was showing it. So now I try to take consideration to the people who need to know for sure with confidence that I'm speaking from the Bible. And he says this, when the bride, he says, they had said, context, they had said, why aren't they fasting? Why aren't your people you know, sad and religious like the rest of us, 
right? I mean, you got to love that. When Jesus says, I have come to give life abundant. And what does the church mostly preach? That he came to give eternal life, life eternal. He did. But abundant life is not eternal life. Abundant life there in the Aramaic is fulfilled on this side and that side. I don't want to be that sad, run-down, lowly, bound to religious mindsets on this side. I want it all. When I, Miles Monroe used to say, the richest place on earth is the graveyard because that's where all the people were that took it all with them and buried it and didn't, didn't get it out on this side. Well, I don't want to leave anything, you know, out. So kind of like a holy YOLO. You know, <laughs> you know, a holy version of it, okay? A sanctified version of that. Um, so anyway, uh, but in the days of the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and they will fast in that day. And then, and then here's the classic scriptures we know. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, otherwise the patch will pull away from it. The new from the old, and a worse tear results. No one puts new wine in old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost, and the skins as well. But one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. Now, isn't it interesting? I want you to watch this. He gives this concept, this principle, this precept. You cannot take the old and put it in the new container he's given you. When we switch, when a fullness of time, when we complete a seven, whether you know it or not, doesn't matter if you know it. It doesn't matter if you know what the first day of spring is. It's still the first day of spring. It doesn't matter if you know it's winter outside. You're going to walk outside and be cold. Try to put your bathing suit on and do it anyway. It won't matter. You'll be uncomfortable. So you don't even have to know all the details of the timeline because you'll figure it out. And so he's, he's, he's prepping them for the fact that he's come to change the status quo. And he, then he goes on, and he immediately does it. He says, and it happened that they're passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and disciples make their way along, you know, while picking the heads of grain. And here come the religious police, right? Who, by the way, is us, the church, okay? You would be hating on the Pharisees and Sadducees. You've got to get a mirror out because that's the religious established authority. And they say... What are you doing, right? Look at what they're doing. This is not lawful on the Sabbath. And now here comes the enlightenment from Jesus. Didn't I just say? I was fixing to give you new wine and a new wineskin. Uh, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to unlearn some things. See, incomplete revelation is as dangerous as false revelation. If you think it's the whole revelation. And I'm going to tell you right now, the Holy Spirit doesn't give one bit for what you think or believe. The Holy Spirit cares about what the Holy Spirit believes. Because they will come, the three of them, and they will mess up your doctrine in a hot minute if the kingdom needs to do it. So you've got to be ready because we're going to have this happening at an accelerated rate. It's going to be uncomfortable. Isn't that a wonderful word to bring from the Outer Banks? Get ready, church, because you're fixing to be uncomfortable. Now, why? He says it's because, look, haven't you ever read? So now the complete, here comes the fullness of the revelation. The fullness, not the legalist version. And he says, 
you know, he gives them the understanding that he's Lord of the Sabbath and that this is for, you see what I'm saying? He's given more of a revelation when you go on to the rest of this of what it really means to have these things on the Sabbath and what the Sabbath is and that he's come to change everything you think about it. Boy, that's uncomfortable. Go ahead and go to the next screen. You got to unlearn. First thing, be ready. Probably already happening. It's time to unlearn. Discard something learned, especially a bad habit or false or outdated information. You know, there's some doctrines I love. I mean, I loved them. Loved them as good as I could. And the Holy Spirit said, we're going to remove that. <laughs> Let's pull that out. That's not expedient for what I want to do in your life. You know, I'll tell, you know you've probably heard me say this before. I mean, when I got ordained, I did not want to be ordained. I was not that woman who was so anointed and on fire that I was waiting for somebody to notice me and give me a chance to show what I knew. When they came and they were like, you know, we think it's time for you and Jamie to be ordained. I'm like, you know what? I don't even like pastors, okay? I can count on one hand how many pastors I like. I don't need, why would I want to be one? And I'm thinking, H-E double, hockey sticks, no. And when the governing board of our organization... Reverend Bobby Hill, finds out about this, he's going to be like, uh, I think y'all, you know, are wrong. And the uh, and thing is, not only did I not want to be one, I didn't believe in women preachers. Can you imagine being a woman preacher and you don't believe in them? It's very inconvenient. <laughs> I'm just saying. I had to unlearn. So one day, you know, my mom was a lesbian, active, politically involved, feminazi. Back in the day, before it was cool. It was not cool back then. And so, you know, 50 years ago, my mom is, is, is a part of a lobby group in Washington, D.C., you know, called Silver Foxes. And she's lobbying for gay rights and, you know, all that. I mean, now it's cool, but it was not cool back then. And, you know, and I did not want to, I did not subscribe to her feminazi ideas. And so, you know, feminist mixed with Nazism together and in case you're not in on that so anyway um I don't want to be a part of that I don't want to look like that and God forbid you display any strength or leadership or anything in church because what's going to be labeled on you eventually Jezebel right I mean we have to live in fear well, we don't have to, but we do, you know, if you're immature and under religion. Because the minute you show any strength, any authority, any kind of leadership at all, there's going to be plenty of people caught under misogyny who are going to label you a Jezebel. And so I didn't want any part of any of that. That just seemed way too involved and intense, and I didn't want to be a part of it. And, and so I'm at the, so, but, you know, Jamie stands up in the meeting, and he's like, I'm still pursuing my career in the government. I don't believe it's time for me to be ordained, but I believe the call of God is on my wife's life. And I'm standing and there, and I'm thinking, well, I, I know who's going to bed early tonight what I'm thinking. I'm just going to be honest about it, okay? Be transparent with you. I'm like, hmm, I hope he's tired because he's going straight to bed after all this. No, ma'am, I'm not having it. So I'm there. He's like, oh, and we need Joanne on the call. And I'm just set wrong and grumpy about it. And uh, so anyway, I get ordained because I trust the leadership. But my heart 
still doesn't believe in, you know, I know the scriptures that have been interpreted incorrectly. I know the men in our church who, when my name is in the bulletin on Sunday that I'm going to preach because our pastor used to put the whoever was speaking, they stayed home so a woman wouldn't teach them. A whole group of them, like 20. And uh, they had come from um, uh, Calvary Chapel. Uh, now, I'm not against Calvary Chapel or Chuck Smith. I'm just saying that's where they came from. They didn't believe in any women in leadership. And so they would stay home every time I preached. So then the pastor took the schedule out so they wouldn't know, <laughs> you know, because he was trying to be slick. And then if I started to, if they knew I was going to speak, they'd get up and leave. You know, right when it was my turn, they would just all get up and walk out. And so anyway, I'm trying to be obedient, but I'm struggling because I have to unlearn this prejudice, this mindset that I have. And so I'm at a meeting with Sharon Stone and she's prophesying and, you know, she's a powerhouse, you know, she's an exhorter. So she's up there preaching away and I'm on the front row looking very spiritual you know, and pastorly with all the other pastors. This meeting is on TV, by the way. And uh, I'm sitting right there. And she said, you, your prejudice against your own gender. I was like, good Lord. <laughs> she said, stand up. She says, church. <laughs> She's bound in grave clothes like Lazarus. Pull. And unravel her in the spirit. So the whole building stands up and they start doing this. I'm just standing there. Now I'm going to tell you, I'm not happy about this. And I say to the Lord, I was in the prayer closet this morning. You and me, we were together. I feel like you could have brought this up. This feels, I feel like this is dramatic. I feel like this is unnecessary and dramatic. And I don't appreciate this public display. Because if I had not been in the prayer closet, you could have, you know, then done this. But I was there, and you said nothing of this to me. And as this is happening, I'm like, oh, gosh, just cooperate. It's on TV. Great. My friends are seeing it. Paul! You know, they're all, the whole church, you know. I know it. And I mean, I'm just like, good gracious. The Lord just puts your business out there. And um, I went home that night, and I was in the tremble. You know how when you've been in the heavenly places, and I could feel it. I could feel these little, you know, little energy. You know, it's moving through you. And, uh, and the Lord gave me a vision, and he gave me a vision of, of a man in a desert who was alone completely. And um, he was dying. He didn't have any food. He didn't have any water. And he said, take him a drink and take him something to eat. And so I came over, because now I'm participating in this experience, and, I, and, and he was so grateful for the cup. And he said, people who are starving, people who are thirsty, don't care whether a woman or a man brings them sustenance. And he said, you just go to those that are starving and thirsty. He said, don't you worry about the people that knock the cup over because you're a woman. And I was like, okay, I could deal with that, Pastor Sam. That doesn't sound like it makes me a feminazi. You know, in our, church, in our organization, we had, I don't know, four or 500 pastors. And now, of course, every one of them has a wife who looks like a pastor's wife. They're glorious, except for one, Reverend Betty. They had all their pictures up on the wall. It was a church of 5,000. And there'd be this, you know, 
pastor, you know, pastors, so-and-so, right? Because they believed in women leadership. And so they'd be like pastors, you know, uh, Matt and Elise, you know. Um, what? I said well, I'm just saying, you know, you, you got to. <laughs> don't make me pull the grave clothes off you, all right? Um, don't make me call you out. So anyway, because I will. No, I'm playing. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, and but and I've, I mean, there's 400, 500 pictures up here. Churches all over the world, and it's all these people, and they look very spiritual. They're not poster children for dysfunction. Well, they really were a lot of them afterwards when I got to know them. But anyway, but then there was this one up there, Reverend Betty, and Guy. I was like, man, Guy missed it, didn't he? I felt embarrassed for her. I'm like, what happened to Guy? He just didn't respond to God. He just, what was he? You know, like you just lugged him along in the spirit. What was wrong with Guy? You know, and I was embarrassed for her because I had this prejudice. I had to unlearn it. I had plenty of people who were telling me it was correct. I had plenty of people who could take scriptures and tell me it was correct. It's going to be important you hold on to this little thought about this because there's a lot because we're getting ready to deal with something where people speak the right things under the wrong spirit. Now, so I had to unlearn some things, and and true to any type of um, experience when you're unlearning, it's not comfortable. Um, Shoot, my thing went off. So, Jamie, can you sign me back in so I get it? Um, so anyway, you've got to unlearn. And it's uncomfortable. And you're not going to be happy about it. And But you've got to, this is the thing. See, when Pastor Sam said last night, because Grace was so beautiful. I mean, you want to talk about elegance. Her dress. I mean, her. She was just, it was absolute elegance. I mean, perfection. And she was standing there. And what a great example when Pastor Sam says, this is a picture of the bride of Christ and the return of Christ and the passion that will be involved in that. Because that would have been a really bad example if the bride had been unfortunate, I'm just saying. <laughs> okay? Because then you can't really appreciate. But anyway, and no bride is unfortunate. So anyway, uh, so she's standing there, just the picture of elegance and beauty, and he says she's made herself ready. And you know the thing is, is you can't make yourself without spot or wrinkle. Do you understand that? Try to, try to obey all the rules. Try to make yourself without spot. You can't. All you can do is cooperate. Philippians 1.6, he that began the work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You cannot adopt some legalistic set of rules and religious activity by going to church, paying your tithes, don't drink alcohol, don't have sex with people you're not supposed to have sex with, don't steal, don't lie. You know, the ones we understand, the ones we recognize. You cannot become the bride of Christ mature and ready by adopting some set of rules and legalistic behaviors. What you can do is you can cooperate when he shows up to unlearn you. <laughs> I was my kids, I have, my oldest daughter's an artist, my two next daughters are lawyers, and my son is a doctor. And every time people say, gosh, you know, the family, they're so successful, you must have held a very high standard. I'm like, nope, they were all home learned. <laughs> 
Everybody's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yep, the Dismal Swamp of North Carolina. We home learn them. And that's why they're all successful now. But um, anyway, when the Lord comes to unlearn you, you got to be ready. You got to be ready to cooperate in the process because it's not fun. When Jamie and I got saved, we got saved in an in a, um, Assembly of God church in Hawaii, filled with the Holy Ghost. And then we got transferred. That's where he was stationed. I was going to college. And we get sent to the middle of nowhere, Maryland. Neither one of us from that. I grew up in Florida in a fish camp, you know, and the Everglades. And he grew up in the Bronx. So, I mean, you know, we didn't know anything about Maryland or anything like that. We're in this little tiny town. And we go to this church called Church of God. And it said Pentecostal, and I said, I think that's what we are. And he was like, because I didn't grow up in the church, and Jamie grew up in Santoria. He grew up in voodoo Catholicism mixed together. His family worshiped the devil, which, by the way, I didn't find out until after we were married, because I feel like that's something you should say at the onset. <laughs> but anyway, so I feel like that little tidbit's the one you throw out there before you say, will you marry me? But anyway, so he grew up in Santoria, and I am in nothing and, and so now we're saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. We don't know what we're doing. We go to the Church of God. It's very religious. It's like a UPC, right? They say don't cut your hair, don't wear makeup, don't be attractive, don't wear jewelry that's going to draw attention to you that matches other things. You know, basically, the, the message is you must be as unattractive as humanly possible to serve God. So, you know, we wanted to know God. And I don't know God. I'm trusting the people who know God. So we are, you know, uh, adopting all the rules. Interesting, there's not as many for men, if you notice. But anyway, so I digress. So anyway, I'm not cutting my hair, not wearing any makeup, not wearing any pretty jewelry. I'm wearing these skirts down here, which, by the way, when you go to King's Dominion and ride the upside-down roller coaster, not holy, but anyway. So... <laughs> Because then it comes all the way up, and then your drawers are out. But you're trying to be holy, but it's not holy. So anyway, so we transfer again. And this time, we go to Virginia Beach, and we go to Rock Church. And, you know, we walk in. And, you know, I'm feeling pretty good about the holiness thing. You know, I got all these dreadful clothes on, not a stitch of makeup, no flashy jewelry, just like a little tiny hoop. Not to draw attention to myself because, you know, woman isn't only, you know, on the outside with braiding her hair and all these things, you know. And so we have all this out of balance, but we don't know we're out of balance. And so we come in and sit down and we sit in the service and the pastor starts talking about makeup. And I thought, what an odd thing for him to say. And he says, you know what, I've heard these sermons for years telling women to be unattractive, whatever. And he says, you know what I say? If the barn needs paint, Hate it. And Jamie goes, Amen. <laughs> Y'all, I was set wrong. I'm like, I am over here trying to be spiritual. I'm trying to be the bride of Christ, spotless. I mean, Jamie never says amen. If he had said amen at other times, you could say, Oh, well, you know, never. I don't, I think that's the first amen he ever had. I'm sitting there. I'm like, oh, it's going to be another early night for Mr. Arizona. <laughs> anyway, so we 
were driving on the way home, and I said, do you really feel that way? He goes, Joanne, he goes, you're beautiful, whatever, I love you, but he said, you know, I just don't think this is what God really cares about. He said, and I haven't seen your knees in three years. <laughs> and I just remember, like, wow, so that wasn't holiness? Dang. Because I was sincere. But God didn't care about that. See, when you're unlearning, it's uncomfortable. You might be really sincere about some things that you think is right. But that doesn't mean... It's going to serve you well in this new wine season with new wineskins. So be ready to be unlearnt and to, <clears throat> to have the Holy Spirit put his hand on things that you enjoy and maybe tenderly care about in terms of your doctrine because he doesn't care. And that becomes the hallmark for what you're willing to let go rather than hold on to. Because, you know, they're still trying to rebuild a temple so that they can start offering animal sacrifices. Some people don't want to let go when the revelation is continuous. So let's keep going. So now the next one. All right. We ought to give thanks to God, brethren, it's only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged. And the love of each one of you toward one another grows even greater. Isn't it interesting that this is what the word is saying when it says in the last days, the love of many will wax cold, but not in the church. All right, let's keep going. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and your faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions. And if you read this in the Aramaic, it's suffering, which you endure. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for indeed you are suffering. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted. Now, he goes on to talk about us and everything, but I want, I want you to understand that. Go to the next slide, please. Suffer well. You have to unlearn, but the next thing you have to be ready to do is you have to be ready to suffer well. This is not something the church in this hour understands if they came through charismania. Charismania did not teach us how to suffer well. So that, why would he say suffer well? In that verse, he says, so that you may find relief. Isn't that amazing? See, we don't want to suffer, but we want relief. But he says, suffer well so that you may find relief. You know, I, I'm always amazed at the way God, you know, when he comes and he says, there was a, um, the way he illustrated this to me was there was a, a leader, a powerful leader at CBN, and his wife died. And they were having the eulogy, and people were going up to him afterwards because he, it was a beloved marriage. It was, it, I mean, he adored her years and years and years. And he's standing there bereft of his wife, of the love of his life. And one of the commanders of the Navy SEALs walks up to him. And he takes his hand and he says, we're praying for you. He said, suffer well. And he walked away. And I'm telling you, those words went through me. Suffer well. See, we were taught in charismania 
You should be looking for the exit out. You shouldn't. You shouldn't ever suffer. Nothing should ever go wrong. Bind it, loose it, open, do anything you got to do to get out. Now I'm going to tell you, the Bible says we have not because we ask not. I ask for the exit plan every single time the suffering comes. Every single time. My first request, as every exhorter has taught me, is ask for the exit. The Red Sea moment where the ocean opens up and all of Pharaoh's army is, you know, drowned. Except that there are things that we have to suffer so that we can find relief. Remember, Galatians 5 says that the heir, though he be the heir of everything, differs nothing from a slave as long as he's a child. The most dangerous thing to you and me in the kingdom of God is not the devil. It is immaturity. Because you can only possess your inheritance if you let them pull the grave clothes off you. If you humble yourself to unlearn. If you learn how to suffer well. See, some people think suffering is just like, oh, we're serving God. Mm, bite down on the suffering and prove how. No, we are suffering to find relief. I mean, there's all kind of causes for suffering, no doubt. I'm talking about the one you don't bring on yourself. You know, because if you go and make un, you know, ungodly decisions and, and live unwisely, you're going to have a lot of suffering, and it's your fault. And then it's going to be the suffering that comes on the land that has nothing to do with you. How many of you read that story where David, he's out and he's walking, and it says, he's just walking, and he says, um, man, we've been in a famine for three years now. Maybe I'll pray. <laughs> he's, he's quick, <laughs> David. After the third year of famine, he's like, you think we should pray, Pastor Sam? Maybe, you know, I'm putting him on the short bus. So anyway, pray. And what is the answer? This curse on the land is from what Saul did to the Gibeonites. See, he's inheriting suffering that had nothing to do with him. It was on the land because the land had been defiled by the previous governmental system. See, sometimes we're engaged suffering has nothing to do with us, but that suffering is still has to be bound under the law, not a platitude of Romans 8, 28. That all things, all things have to work to your good. To those of you who are called, all things, all things, not some things. See, getting out, the idea of getting out, it shortchanges you. You don't get to go through so you can inherit. See, going through is how you get the inheritance. Because after the Red Sea event... What did they have to do when they get to the promised land? It's filled with giants. In order to possess the promises, you have to be willing to go through. And we have to learn how to suffer well with the anticipation, like David said, if I make my bed in hell, you're there. Where can I go from your presence? You know, I'm, I'm so amazed when we go through suffering, because it's what you believe about suffering that is the problem. He says to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. People think that means just suffer because he suffered on Calvary and because you're his servant, you have to suffer too. Jesus suffered, so you have to suffer. Comes with the territory. True, but incomplete. What's the first part of that say? 
to know him. Why? Because in suffering, he's there. And you will find him as you've never known him. You know what's amazing? My, one of my children had nightmares. And we used to play John Paul Jackson's um, I Am, The Names of God. And he had like 200 of them on there. He just, and he, it was his voice, so commanding and, you know, confident. And he would just say, you know, uh, El Shaddai, you know, El El Yon. He would just name the names of God and what they meant. And, and, it's all, and we just played it in a room because I figure, you know, if you're battling something spiritual, the names of God have got to be a good weapon, right, to fight back. And we just play it low. But this is the thing. You know, if you have a diamond and you do this underneath, you will see facets. If you brought a crystal in here or a bigger diamond, you would see facets of light all over the walls. That's God. Do you understand you can't know him? He's a constant revelation. You can know him, but you won't know him in the fullness until you keep encountering him in new ways. One of my favorite stories says that Moses stayed in the tent outside when he's with Israel, right? He goes into the tent of meeting, and Joshua goes in. They're the only people going to the prayer service, right? He says Moses would leave and Joshua would stay. So at this point, who knows God better than anyone else on the planet Earth? Joshua. He's on the road to Jericho. He's like Bob Jones. Oh, hello, giant angel with the giant sword. How are you? <laughs> right? See, me, I'm going to be like, eh. we, have, we have a Bob Jones in our home group, a, a similar to Bob Jones. He tells us all the time what angels are there and what their names are. I'm like, cool. You know, all right, good. He walks up. Now, this is the thing. He sees this angel, and he calculates, well, what's this about? What's the plan here? He says, um, pardon me, are you for us or against us? I mean, that's a good question if you see a giant angel, right? I mean, I'm not maybe going to go up and ask it because I'm just going to be like, eh. But he goes up, and he asks, are you for us or against us? He doesn't know that it's Yahweh Sabaoth, the commander of the angel armies of heaven, until he hears, take off your shoes. And all of a sudden, he realizes there's a revelation of God. Who needs to know Yahweh Sabaoth? Someone who's about to take on giants in a land. If you don't know Yahweh Sabaoth, how are you going to have any confidence like David to say, if I make my bed in hell? See, to know him in suffering is to find him there. He's already there in a way you don't recognize him. Suffering is very often a gift because it it allows us to continue the multifaceted revelation of who he is so that we can have, what's the job of the church? What's the job of any Christian? Number one, boil it down, reduce the fraction, to know him and to make him known. That's it. However you do that looks different. Whether you have a chili stand that's anointed, or you're a pastor of a church, or you're the head of a hedge fund, or whatever you're doing, it doesn't matter. But your job every day, you have one assignment, to know him 
and to make him known. See, when we avoid suffering, we're missing out. We're missing out on who do we need to know for the next phase. Because if I'm going to go fight a bunch of giants in Canaan and the promised land, then I need to know who the commander of the angel armies of heaven is. See, we need to cooperate when we're learning how to suffer well because it has, it has a purpose. Um, in the suffering well, in this last season, I had an experience that was extremely uncomfortable. Um, I uh, was out cutting the grass one day, and uh, I'm riding the tractor. Jamie's out of the country. We have five acres, so it takes a little bit of time to cut it. And um, I mean, I've cut this grass I don't know how many times in 20 years. And I'm just riding the tractor, and I'm praying, you know, doing my normal thing. And um, all of a sudden, a back part of my tractor hits the magnolia tree, and I'm underneath it, and I see the branch come down. I'm like, oh, what's that? And I touch the branch, and I'm immediately swarmed by wasps. I mean, I look down, and my shirt is covered in wasps. I jump off that tractor like a lunatic. I am running to my house. I'm an acre, two acres from my house, and I am yelling the whole way. Ah! Well, my neighbors are five acres away. We all have five acres on our street, so nobody hears me. I run, and I can feel them stinging my back as I'm running. And I run and run and run, and I get in the house, and I'm doing this the whole time because they're, I mean, they're everywhere. Like my shirt looked like wasps. And, and so anyway, as I'm doing that and I'm fighting this whole thing, I get in the house. There's still wasps now in the house that I have to kill before I can even take care of myself. When I get done and everything is dead, I have over 25 wasp stings on my back, the back of my arms. Nothing on the front. Everything on the back. <laughs> you know, I had just spoken at our home group about suffering well. <laughs> I was like, uh, did I sign up for this? <laughs> Is this punishment? I'm sure, surely, if this had been on the multiple choice list for what I wanted from the kingdom this week, I would not have checked yes. Thank you, God. Please put that on my plate. And so, anyway, I am just so upset about this and I call my son and I'm coughing and choking he's like mom you've got to get a he said you're going into anaphylaxis you know um you're you're, you're not gonna be able to breathe mom I need you to get the antihistamine right away no one's there I'm there by myself anyway long story short I'm all swollen in my back all those wasps on the front not one of them stung me on the front not one fast forward suffer well I was having a conflict with my grown daughters. And we were arguing about my, well, not arguing, but, you know, strongly disagreeing about plans for my birthday. And it was, it was creating a lot of tension and a lot of upset. And, um, and, I, and, and things got heated in texting to the point that I knew that there was no way we were going to get past whatever was going on without us having a face-to-face -face as adults together. And so my daughter, who's a, a partner at a law practice, 
you know, she texts me back, you know, this great mediated message with her million-dollar law degree, you know, and I'm hot. I'm like, don't lawyer me, child, okay? I am the one who taught you how to do this, okay? So I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready for this meeting. Now, I'm not going to violate, you know, the outside looking right spiritually. I'm just going to go in with fear and intimidation, all right? I'm the mom. I'm set wrong. Everybody needs to be scared. And, and they know it. So even though they're trying to be all these lawyers that they are and tough, my boy wasn't involved at all, just me and the girls. They're sh you know, you can see they're like, you know, this. And so the day before the meeting, I'm, I'm working my case up. I'm lawyering up my case, man. I'm going in there and smooth, you know, because when you're passive aggressive by design, you know, nobody sees the knife coming, you know. <laughs> It's just, it's there. It's like, it seems like a peaceful conversation. And the next thing, it's like, whoa, how did that get there? And, you know, so I'm ready for this confrontation. And I'm going I'm to I'm learn these girls about who's in charge. And I'm out walking in the prayer garden. We have a path in the last two part of our acres where we have a prayer garden. And I'm walking with the Lord and talking to him. And telling him about my great plan to set these girls right. And before I could even get through the end of my argument, which I was very proud of, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, love keeps no record of wrongs. And I was like, what? And I fell down and I started to weep. Because without even realizing it, I did not even realize it. I had been intentionally disconnecting in relationship. If you follow Danny Silk's teachings, you know what I'm talking about. I had intentionally, because I was hurt by some things that happened, I had withdrawn and was putting walls around myself to protect myself, which is why we withdraw from people we're supposed to connect with. And I did not even realize I'm a minister of the gospel. And Holy Spirit, it took the Holy Spirit to reveal to me that I had a record of wrongs that I was holding in my heart against my children. So the meeting comes the next night, and I walk in, and, you know, they're trying to look brave, but they look scared. And rightly so, you know, I wasn't their friend when it wasn't time to be their friend. I was their mama and their friend, but when they needed a mama, I was their mama. And I just started to weep, and I said, I've come to repent to all of you because I've been holding a record of wrongs I didn't even realize that I had and, and that's not the person I want to be this is not the person I want to be I want to cooperate with what the Lord is doing and I've had resentment see the thing about the thing about the record of wrongs is the next thing that comes from it is resentment right because things aren't going the way you're hurt it's so subtle but it'll cause you to immediately pull back your spirit so you're not connecting in the way that you need to be connecting with the meaningful people in your life. And then, if you don't deal with resentment, it becomes bitterness. And then, what happens is you feel nothing. You don't feel love or hate for the other person. You feel nothing. If you're married to someone, maybe you felt this way. Felt nothing. And you're like, I feel nothing. I don't feel love. I don't feel hate. That's because you let resentment become bitterness. 
Well, then, if you don't deal with it, it becomes hatred. And that's death. Death to the relationship. So I go in. They're totally unprepared. I cry my eyes out and repent. I say, this is not the person I want to be. I want to be a better person than this. And I've been holding this record of wrongs against y'all. And I'm gonna, I'm, I want to ask your forgiveness right now. And I hope that you will give me a chance to model. They have never seen this happen. You can tell. They're like, are we been translated to another dimension? What is happening? Why is mom sitting in front of us crying, telling us how sorry she is? See, when, when the Lord is dealing and we have to suffer well, what he was trying to get to, as y'all know my story, I, you know, was trafficked as a child to truck drivers. I mean, it's terrible. I had to survive my childhood. It was very traumatic, very miserable. And, and, and this is the thing, is that sometimes those wounds are so deep that you can't get to them because they're not in the part of your heart you have connection to or the part of your brain you have connection to. And what the Lord showed me on the wasp was this, that stings from the past on my back were still affecting me and my relationships today. And, and the belief that I had to get to, the lie, was that I loved my children dearly, but since they had become adults, when they were little, I felt they loved me. But little by little, as they made their own adult decisions, I realized I had started to fall back on the belief system I had when I was a child, that no one loved me. And that I loved them, but they didn't love me. And the Lord said, I gave you this suffering so you could eradicate this fear and this lie from your life so that you could enjoy intimacy and connection in these relationships again. I mean, talk about a terrible gift. A terrible gift. But see, I wouldn't have known him in that way that I could make my bed in hell. You know, I couldn't go anywhere for three days because I was so swollen from the wasp stings. I couldn't, I couldn't go in, I couldn't put clothes on. And then I had scabs. I mean, it was dramatic. The Lord is dramatic. Have you figured that out? Wouldn't it be nice if he was always rational and reasonable? And, you know, he isn't. Sometimes he's like super dramatic. He's like so extra sometimes that you're like, wow, why? See, the thing was, I had to cooperate. I had to cooperate and I had to suffer well because I was not able to enjoy abundant life without that lesson, without that lesson to, to break that record of wrongs. And so I want to encourage you. This may come from places in your life you did not even see coming. I do not speak wasp attack on you. I cancel that in Jesus' name. I'm just saying, sometimes we're so disconnected, we don't even know why. Because we have to get to the hurt. We got to get to the resentment. We got to figure out what the emotions were. Then you got to figure out what your need is. I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a counselor. 90% of my work is people trying to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. And to help them to understand that. Porn and, and gambling and anger and all these things are really mostly just people with a legitimate need 
who are trying to meet it in an illegitimate way and to help them find that path to that. Um, I was sharing this past week. I teach a, a community-wide Bible study from women for all these churches, and we were talking about this, about disconnecting and, and practicing disconnection and, and trying to make ourselves accountable to process resentment and pain and hurt, especially in a marriage, because if you let it go, you'll be committed to the marriage. Your, your commitment will be there, and you will physically be present but you will be a starving person when it comes to intimacy. And there's nothing worse than being in a marriage and feeling alone, or being in a, in a friendship and feeling alone, or having parents and feeling alone, or being a parent and feeling alone, or having dear friends and still feeling alone because the commitment is there, the activity is there, but the intimacy is not. Jamie is a ruler, as you know, if you know redemptive gifts, and that means whenever there's something that has to be solved, he goes to a list in his brain, and he starts with the first thing. So we had this experience years ago where I'm driving his truck, it stops, it just, it's just, it's moving, but it turned off, it's just turned off, and I'm going down the road, I'm pulling the parking lot. I don't know what's going on. I'm not handy with vehicles. I have a key, I know that, I put gas in it occasionally. Mostly I pray that it'll make it where I need to go. So anyway, we're having this experience. It's out. I call Jamie. Jamie, the truck just stopped. I don't know what's going on. It's terrible. He says, did you put gas in it? Now I'm mad. How condescending. What, like I've been driving for three days? And you know what I want to say? No, I didn't put any gas in it. You know, but that's what he's, he's going to start with the list. He's not trying to be condescending. Anyway, fast forward. I'm hot. I'm mad. By the time he gets there, I'm using my list because back then, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to resolve my own emotions, figure out the need that wasn't being met. And so, you know, he's like looking at me like, why are you mad? Because I said, did you put gas in it? Is the key in the ignition? Like he's asking me all these questions that are so, to me, insulting to my intelligence and my lifelong driving but to him it's just matters just you know let's just go through the checklist so I'm hot he doesn't know why and then the look comes no <laughs> sir this is not going to go well for you I'm really hot so I get home I'm like okay Lord what is the need that I was trying to meet here what why am I so mad and when I got to it, I had to laugh at myself because I, I, I can't go to him. You can't go to a ruler or a giver and think you're going to process anything. You've got to process it. You've got to break that stuff down before you get there, and you've got to have it succinct. You've got to get there and have it straight. And, and a lot of men like that need that. So I'm, I'm trying to figure this all out before I go to him. And I realized what I wanted, and I told him. He's like, why are you so mad? I said, because I wanted you to save me. I wanted you to say, babe, don't worry, I'll be right there. And I'm like, good Lord, I'm like some helpless damsel in stress. Well, and you know, I'm raised by a lesbian, so you know, we're, we don't need all this help, you know. So Jamie, he's looking at me, and he goes, what? And he says, but you get upset when I you know, do that because you say I'm managing you or I'm, you know, not letting you handle something. And I said, yes, it's a mixed message. Get used to it. 
yes, we give mixed messages. But we're really awesome otherwise. So, you know, we have all this benefit that go with us. And up until that moment, I would have never been able to realize that that's what I'm saying. So then Jamie, he's like, he's just processing this on a completely logical level. And he says, um, so how do I know <laughs> when you want me to run in and save you or where that feels like I'm managing and controlling? He said, because I don't really know how to. <laughs> I said, well, I guess we'll see. <laughs> anyway, yeah. <laughs> anyway, the point is, is that, you know, he was trying to, you know, um, we're trying to find those ways that bring the destruction, to bring the separation all the way back then so that we could continue to work towards building connection. And, and because this harvest is coming relationally, this harvest is not coming by signs and wonders only. There will be signs and wonders, but this harvest is coming relationally, which means it's going to come from the one to the one. It's going to be leaving the 99 and going for the one. It's going to be a newfound favor that's going to be on your relationships with family members who have never given you the time of day. It's going to be with siblings and parents and friends. This year, the, the 5783, the three is Gimel. And one of, the, one of the most important meanings for Gimel is that in a year that Gimel is in effect, things that were supposed to be one but got separated reunite. The anointing, the authority is there for relationships, for marriages, for friendships, for parenting, for your parents. Isn't that an amazing opportunity? This harvest is coming relationally because we have been a generation that has practiced disconnection. Okay, let me speed up so I can finish this because I know Pastor Sam's was hoping that I wasn't going to take him so serious when he said. <laughs> All right, quick message in spiritual warfare. In uh, Ephesians 6, it says, um, oh, well, you know what, go to the next slide. Go keep going. That's, a, that's the wedding. Read that if you don't know about it. He made, you know, the best wine for last. And, and that's, that's the good news. Go to the next one. Huh? The best wine is safe for last. The good news is if you cooperate, if you suffer well, you're going to find relief, and so are others. And you're going to have the new wine for your new wineskin. And then we're going to see the harvest. And then we're going to hear the trump. I don't know if I'm going to be here when the trump sounds. But I'm going to come back either way. I'm going to hear it on that side or hear it on this side. I don't know. But isn't that exciting? Isn't it so exciting to be at an end of an age and the beginning of a new age and to realize that if you cooperate with this process, the best wine is always saved for last? If you've heard that your best days are behind you, it's a lie from the pit of hell. Best days of your marriages, best days of your friendships, best days of your ministry, the best days of your jobs, the best days of anything you've ever experienced are not behind you. The best days of Generation Church is not behind. The best days of Generation Church are ahead because the best days, the best wine is saved for last. Okay, now we're going to do our warfare. I had a vision last week. And... Uh, I promise I'm going to wrap this up quick. 
Okay, I had this vision, and in the vision, I'm walking along a river in North Carolina, and I have like this big pocketbook, huge, like a carpet bag that's Mary Poppins style. And, um, and I'm uh, walking, and I'm walking by the river, and it's the woods. It's North Carolina, you know, anywhere you want to be. That's what you could be in this experience. And I see something in the water coming, and in the water coming is um, a little wake. And I think, is that a turtle? What is that? And, and, you know, with my big old bag, and I have a little umbrella. So like Mary Poppins, except it's a fold-up one. So me and my umbrella and my bag, we're walking like this in the woods. And then I see that thing, and I see the wake growing. And I said, oh, my Lord, that is not a turtle. That's a water moccasin. Now, we have them all over. We live in the Outer Banks, Dismal Swamp. Every time you go out to our boat, there's at least two sitting there. you got to shoot them, okay, because they're aggressive. I don't know if you guys have, you have water moccasins here, right? Yeah, okay. Well, they're aggressive. They'll swim after you in the water because they're so territorial. So I'm like, oh, good Lord, it's water moccasin. Good Lord, water moccasin. And all of a sudden, as I'm walking, I'm like, should I go back? I don't know. And I get to this part where it goes into the water. There's like an embankment. You could go in or out. And then there's no more path. There's no path to go. So I either have to stay there with this moccasin coming because I can see the snake body now, or I got to run back on the path. And I decide, you know what, That's, I'm not going to run. I'm going to do whatever I have to do. There's nowhere to go forward. I, obviously, I have to fight this thing with my big pocketbook and my umbrella that folds. And so as I'm standing there, I'm like resigned to fighting. Out comes on the embankment the head, but it's this big, and it's flat. And I said, oh, my God, it's a python. Lord have mercy. This is worse than the water moccasin. It's a python. That huge body comes out of the water, and it coils up in front of me. And I'm like, oh, my word, I got this big pocketbook. And, you know, a pocketbook in a dream, that's where your money is, your ID. It's your thing, your gifts, your talents, your identity, who you are, you know, your authority in a sense. And for a man, you know, maybe your purse or something. I don't know, your wallet, you know. But for a woman, it's the pocketbook. And so, and my little fold-up umbrella. And the python comes towards me, and I hit it back with my pocketbook like this. And every time I hit it back, it goes back because, right, pythons don't bite. They squeeze the life out of you, right? So in this experience, the python's not getting to me because I've got this authority. I've got this identity. I know who I am in Christ. I'm fighting it. I'm pushing it back, but I'm not winning. I don't have any weapons to win. I have an umbrella that's folded up, and then I've got the pocketbook. And so as I'm hitting this, I finally decide I'll take the pocketbook, and I go up underneath here, I guess the chin, I don't know if the python has a chin, but underneath here, and it flies up in the air, spins around, and right here is a big old boulder, and it hits the boulder. And I'm like, oh boy, this thing's going to be mad as a hornet when it gets up. Well, as I look down trying to figure out what I'm going to do now, my pocketbook, my folded umbrella, I see the head of the python roll right by me. It was severed when it hit the rock. See, that type of spirit, which was a ruler spirit over land and over water in the region, I couldn't beat it on my own 
because upon this rock, I'll build my church. When the church takes its position and stands up in a region, the head of Python is cut off. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? And if, and if you want to look this up, go to Acts 16, 16, where the girl is following around Paul, and um, they're walking around the city, and they say, um, oh, you know, these men are from the Most High God. Listen to them. And this goes on for days, it says. These men are from the Most High God. Listen to them. And she's just annoying the heck out of them. Isn't it interesting that she's prophesying accurately, but from the wrong spirit. My God, did we not see that in this last season? People who could prophesy accurately, but under the wrong spirit, under a spirit that wanted to control and squeeze the life out of people. Read Acts 16 and see all the things. Finances are cut off when Python's involved. If you look at it, it says, it says a spirit of divination, depending on your translation. But when you read Acts 16 for the sake of time, it actually says in the original, Pythios or Python. It's a spirit of Python. That's its name. And it covers regions. It rules over regions. And the only way that we can excise it displace it from a region is by taking our place as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know the most powerful spiritual warfare you have is your decision making every single day. If you go to um, Ephesians chapter 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, powers, rulers, dominions in high places, spiritual wickedness. That's a whole rank of beings. They're not, they're not just synonyms for the sake of synonyms. Principality is a whole different thing than a ruler, than a dominion. Dominions control mindsets over regions. If you drive somewhere and all of a sudden you have a porn thought, and you're like, where'd that come from? I don't even care about porn. Or you drive somewhere and you feel anger. You feel wrong. You feel, you know, intensity. You're, you're seeing the unrighteous dominions that are in control over that region empowered by sin. See, Python is a ruler spirit under a different principality. Because as Jude says, and as John Paul Jackson said in his book, Needless Casualties of War, you don't have any business taking on a principality. And yet we have churches all the time creating militia groups. We call them prayer groups. Trying to pull down the strongholds of heaven. Yes, the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. But you know how you do it? Because if you take Ephesians 6 in context... It starts with, children, obey your parents. Parents, don't push your children to wrath. Every decision you make, day in and day out, empowers one kingdom or another in a region. That's why secret sin isn't so secret. Because everything that you empower by your decisions is the ripple effect. It's the, it's the rock that got thrown in the pond. And it goes out. And if you were thinking, when you're hiding in your closet with your secret sin, because anybody who has secret sin hides, and then they lie because of the hallmarks of secret sin, is that you're empowering it to the next generation. So your children and your children's children and your grandchildren to a thousand generations because you didn't beat this thing. And that's, gonna, that's a whole other way of thinking if you're in a closet secretly addicted to porn because you don't want to cooperate with the suffering 
knowing that those same things are coming for your sons and your daughters and your grandchildren because you've empowered them to the next generation. But the same is true for witchcraft, the spirit of divination, for prophesying under the wrong spirit, for finances to be lost, for uproar to be created. January 6th, ring a bell? This spirit is operating in our government. Isn't it interesting? Programming language Python was released in 1991. I love how God makes the devil show his hand. Now, the man who made that programming language, I'm not against the programming language of Python for the computer. Don't be wrong about here that, that way. The thing is, he didn't name it after the spirit. He named it after Monty Python's circus, you know, because he was British. The point is, is that God makes sure the enemy shows his hand. See, this thing is embedded all in our government and our region in North Carolina especially. And so today... We're going to pray, and we're going, if you want to hand out those prayers, I brought some battlement with us, some battle gear, which is why I was climbing that mountain to go up, and I was like, you sure, you sure, the night before? On wedding weekend, when I wanted to preach a flowery message of joy and happiness and bunnies and butterflies, the bride is going to warfare because 12 very imperfect people changed the world by cooperating and suffering well and, and having new wine and new wineskins. And Generation Church is, is a church that the Lord sees to, as Pastor Sam was prophesying this morning, not even realizing was prophesying, to displace evil in the region. You know, part of the way that Python works, besides anything that squeezes the life out of you, is... Uh, orphan hearts, orphan spirit. Do you know two people told me from this church this weekend that they were starting to open their home to foster care? How are you going to address orphan and heart and spirit and Python's effect in a region? You can renounce it and you should. The issue is how are you going to displace it? By coming in the opposite spirit of that, by making sure the Ephesians 6, all your decisions you're making, day in and day out, that's the most powerful spiritual warfare you will ever participate in. Because that is going to displace the iniquity that's on the land. And one of my intercessors wrote me this morning and she said, I heard when I was praying, I haven't said anything to her about anything the Lord gave me, whatever. She said, this morning I heard the Lord say there's defilement on the land where you are and God has sent you to, to lead the people and cleansing it. I'm like, good gracious. He just puts it out there. I'm trying to preach a butterfly, happy message. And now I got the intercessors calling saying, no, we're not going to have a happy flowery message today. We're going to have victory message because if 12 people mean this prayer, it could change the world. It can change the direction of the region because of this. The reason we do renunciations is this. When Jesus is going to Jerusalem, he says, I'm going to face Satan, but I'm not worried about it because he has nothing in me. It's not what's outside of you that's dangerous. One time I went to this nail salon. They had like things, altars to a false god, and I left because I don't want to be in that atmosphere with demonic things. And the Lord said, what would you do if you were in that country? And it was in every nail salon. Would you not get your nails done? He said, what do you care what's in there? 
He said, just go in and take authority over the atmosphere. You're there. You're a paying customer. See, Daniel was in Babylon. How was he successful? Because there was no Babylon in him. See, we don't have to be afraid what's out there. What we have to be afraid of is what's in us that's in agreement. And this is the thing. Sometimes you don't even mean to be in agreement with the fallen spiritual creation. Maybe generationally you have people who practice witchcraft, who use prophecy to manipulate other people, who engaged in behaviors that squeeze the life out of their children, squeeze the life out of their spouse with bitterness and anger. Maybe that orphan heart. You understand what I'm saying? You could have agreement with this generationally. So if you're comfortable with this, we're going to go through a renunciation today. So that if you have any Python connections in you, whether by default through iniquity or your own choices you didn't even know, I'm going to give you a chance to break, shatter, dissolve, destroy, and utterly turn away from those things in the kingdom. And if you are not comfortable with doing that, you don't have to do anything. You can just sit and, and be prayerful for us as we do this. Because, see, this is the power we have, is to eliminate. We resist the devil, and he flees. How do we resist? By not choosing him. By choosing to cooperate with the process. And by resisting these other things. You don't ever have to worry about what darkness can do to you. <laughs> All you got to do is resist it. It's that simple. And so I just want to invite you now, if... Um, that we're going to go through this. You'll see I black some things out. It looks redacted like Jamie's work. <laughs> and now, of course, you know, there'll be two pages of good things here, and everybody's going to wonder what's redacted. Uh, they are the words that uh, speak to Satan directly. Um, if you read Jude, where it says, Michael, when Satan came to fight him for Moses' body, did not rebuke Satan. He said, the Lord rebuke you. See, in this hierarchy, you can't talk to principalities. You don't have that kind of rank. You can cancel their work, but I promise you, if you search the Bible, you can renounce the works of Satan. You can renounce the works of darkness. You can choose to reject his influence, but you cannot bind him or rebuke him. There is not one verse, not one that tells you you can do that. And yet, how many people have you say, we bind the devil? See, you can't. So, I blocked it out <laughs> because I don't want to open you up <laughs> to any foolishness because that's what Jude is talking about. He says, look, people who don't understand authority, I destroyed them. I opened the earth and swallowed them because they don't understand authority because even Michael, an archangel, if an archangel is not going to rebuke Satan, it behooves you to think that you should not either, although rejecting his work. Do you understand? Everybody with me on that? Okay, so when you see the redacted parts, it's the parts I do not believe are supported by biblical theology. When you see the fill in the blank, what I want you to say is me and my family. All right, so as we read this out loud together, I want you to say every time we get to the blank, me and my family, which also will cover your generations on both sides. All right, are you ready? Here we go. Hold on. Father God, I ask right now as we are seated in heavenly places that you bring us into your holy courtroom. 
We recognize that you are the one and only judge, that you alone have the authority to sit on the, the throne and bring judgment on our behalf and on behalf of the family lines of everyone represented here today. We stand here not of our own accord, but by the finished work of Calvary, your son, that Yeshua HaMashiach, that by that blood, seated at your right hand, making intercession for us right now, we have the authority to stand in this courtroom. I ask as we stand here that everything that is said by the people represented, by the bloodlines that are represented, by the voices that you hear today, that everything be entered into your record, that it be entered into your legal and holy record. Lord, I ask that the testimony that is given today in this courtroom would be true and honest and sincere, so much that we swear it by our covenant with you. Lord, I ask that the books that hold the records of covenants made with or without our knowledge with the fallen spiritual creation be present and open to those unholy covenants as our testimony is entered into the record. Okay. Okay. Just stay with us the best you can. You know, try to pay attention to your neighbor if you hear like you're off, okay? If you feel like you're off and you can't stay with everybody together, then just pray at your own pace, all right? Father, your word says that Satan will speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and will try to change times and laws. We bind those spirits sent to wear us out and we loose the Holy Spirit to bring new life to us. You also say that since the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us, it shall quicken our mortal body, and we are strengthened with might by the spirit in the inner man. We say, O earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Hear, O land, I speak to you and command you to come into my possession. We shall be fruitful and multiply, subdue, and have dominion over the earth, because the scepter of wickedness shall not rest upon the land, and the uncompromisingly righteous. We renounce and reverse the curse on our land, sent by Satan and the python spirit, because Jesus redeemed the earth from the curses." Python and all related spirits, you will not restrict our land from being used productively, nor will you cause the money to dry up or be stolen over me or my family land. But the finances will be released to flow into my hands and me and my family's hands in Jesus' name. Jesus purchased our freedom and liberty at the cross of Calvary, shed his blood for us, gave us authority to use his name, and sent his word to deliver me and my family from destruction, and made us more than a conqueror over this earth and everything in Jesus' name. I bind, renounce, and resist the strong man, ruler, prince, python spirit, and the spirit of death in me and my family. I curse you and all your seed and command you to wither and die now. You cannot operate against me and my family in Jesus' name. I loose life, health, strength, and courage in me and my family.
I bind all religious spirits and spirits of religion, the spirit of divination, division, competition, factions, discouragement, false prophets, spirit of antichrist, all manipulative spirits, controlling spirits, familiar spirits, beguiling spirits, seducing spirits, Jezebel spirits, all pressure, oppression, depression, heaviness, sorrow, lust, greed, pride, scorn, grief, rebellion, fatigue, Odolatry, sorry, witchcraft spirits, covetousness, deception and lying spirits, strife, fear, weakness, weariness, fatigue, spirit of stupor, laziness, lack of commitment, confusion, frustration, antagonism, all spirits in the family of Python, all related spirits, all you have let in and command you to leave me and my family now. I loose agreement, harmony, cooperation, encouragement, and the truth of the word, the spirit of adoption, humility, joy, obedience, power, love, and a sound mind, relaxation, refreshment, kind words, tenderness in me and my family. I cover me and my family with the blood of Jesus. I bind all poverty and lack and I lose money and abundance of financial prosperity in me and my family. You will no longer control me or my family in money matters. You will not cause us to become fearful of loss of money or lack of money. We, I, we will walk in prosperity and the abundance of money in Jesus' name. I ask you, Father, to fill all vacancies and me and my family with righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Ghost. Send out your ministering spirits to bring in all the money we need to fulfill the work of reconciliation on the earth. Hear now what the Lord says. Arise, contend, and plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. For who are you, O great mountain of human obstacles? Before me and my family, you shall become a plain, a mere molehill. I prophesy and say, you mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord to the mountains and hills, to the rivers and ravines and valleys, I will will destroy your high places of idolatrous worship strike with your fist stamp with your foot and say alas over the vile abominations of the house of Israel you will not steal our vision our covering our mantle or our anointing we will not become weak and weary but we will be strong in the Lord and the power of his might we will reach our goal and be what God created us to do and be in his will, his plan, and his purpose for our life shall prevail. Father, you said, let all those who take refuge and put their trust in you rejoice. Let them ever sing and shout for joy because you make a covering over them and defend them. Let all those who love your name be joyful in you and be in high spirits. Father, you said, ask of me, and I shall give you the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thine possession.
Father, you said our soul is escaped as a bird out of the snare of the fowler. Python and all related spirits, the snare is broken and we are escaped. Father, we give you thanksgiving and praise that is done now. We believe that we receive when we pray and expect the manifestation to come forth because it is your will to supply all our need according to your riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now we enforce the defeat of darkness in our lives by the word of God. Greater is he that is within me than he that is in the world. And I overcame by the blood of Jesus and the word of my testimony. No weapon or words or spirit sent against me shall prosper according to the word of God. Thank you, Jesus, for defeating the devil on my behalf and setting me free. I thank you, praise you, and worship you, and bless the Father for all your goodness to me in Jesus' name. I will reverse your captivity before your eyes and make you a praise among the nations. Hallelujah. Father God, as we stand in your holy court right now, representing many generations, representing many households, representing many races, Lord, Based on our repentance today, I ask that the blood of Jesus be applied to all unholy covenants that have been kept in the books. I ask that they be closed and canceled to a thousand generations, never to be re-empowered again by anyone here. Lord, I ask now that all curses that have been empowered by these cross by these curses, all curses empowered by these sins, be sent to the cross of Calvary to be rendered utterly void without effect in our lives and our seed to a thousand generations. Lord, for those of us represented right now who have caught the enemy's hand, the thief's hand, red-handed, caught in the act of operating with Python in this church, in our lives, in our property, in our finances, in our relationships, in our health. I ask that the sevenfold return be released as compensatory damages to each and every family that is represented here. Lord, I thank you for the spirit of adoption. I thank you for the spirit of reconciliation. I thank you that what has been severed but should have never been severed in marriages, parental relationships, friendships, siblings, work relationships be reunited as we move forward anticipating absolute victory and transformation as the bride cooperates and takes her place standing and waiting for the bridegroom to return. In the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, amen.